Well, thank you, Tover. Well, how's everyone doing this morning? I thought I'd try something a little bit different this morning. You know, I always make fun of Pastor Robin because he will not preach from the floor. But then I was like, well, you know what? I won't preach from the stage, so why don't I set the example and we'll do a swap. I'll start preaching from the stage and you start preaching from the floor. How about that? Does that work for you? I figured the, t- the TV was already up here. I might as well just keep everything the way it was for this morning. Well, I promise I'm a little more rested than I was last week. You know, I think after Christmas, it was just been a nonstop, like bang, 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 bang. And then this week, I got to just sit back and relax. And my wife isn't in the room. I was going to say thank you for letting me sleep in several days and watching the kids, and it was wonderful. Well, before the, the new year, we were in a series called Everything Changed, and I, I want to continue on where we left off there. And, uh, you know, Christmas happened, New Year's happened, and, you know, I don't know if you're like me, but two weeks, three weeks, I forget everything that has happened. So we're going to do some review this morning. How about that? Does that work for you? The reason why we call it Everything Changed is because simply everything changed between the cross and the throne. The entire landscape of what is spiritually possible for humanity was completely transformed in that act that started with the cross and ended with his ascension and his sitting down at the right hand of the Father. Everything changed. It is the exact opposite of what happened at the fall. You know, Adam, he, they call him the first Adam, and they refer to Jesus as the second Adam. When Adam and Eve chose to transgress and do what they were told not to do, it affected everyone. But you know how much more Jesus did his work make a complete shockwave that has now affected all of the future that will ever be. And I like what Romans says. It says the, 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 the fall of Adam can't truly be compared to the second Adam work. You know, I like to describe it this way. It's like the enemy showed up to the fight with a pebble and God brought a nuke. They just can't be compared. They're not on the same spectrum. When God transformed the landscape, he did it in a way that can never be changed back again so that we can come and be a part of his family once again because you realize that the reason why God created man is so that he could do what, uh, what Genesis says, come down in the cool of the day and have relationship with man, to talk with man, and to walk with man. And now Jesus has put us back into that position where we can come boldly before the throne of grace, where we can come before the presence of Almighty God, our Father, and just be with Him in in the way that He wanted us to be in the beginning. And so everything changed from the cross to the throne. And if we don't understand what has changed and how that affects us, we'll just continue living on as we've always known and always have. You know, how, it would, it would uh, really suck if you had a beautiful car like, say, uh, a Bugatti Veyron. You know, Harrison is constantly asking me, ask Siri, what's the fastest car in the world? And then after we do that, he's like, what's the second fastest car in the world? And then he says, what's the slowest car in the world? And I say, a parked one. But if you had a car that can go 350 miles an hour, but you've only ever known five, what a shame to have all that power under the hood, but never knowing that you can put the pedal down and really move. And so many Christians are in that position where they've been living their life at five miles an hour, 
When God's saying, hey, there's new gears. There's more gears that I've prepared for you. Why don't you shift it into second? And once you get comfortable with second, why don't you go into third and then fourth and then fifth? And I don't know, maybe those supercars have a sixth in there. I don't know, I've never had one that had more than five when I was doing the standard. <laughs> Anybody here know how to drive a standard? You know, it's becoming a rarer skill these days. You know, they, they call it uh, uh, um, <laughs> a millennial car theft alarm. You know, you can't, they can't drive them, so they can't steal them. But Paul said to the Ephesians in chapter 3, verse 6, he says that the Gentiles should be fellow heirs of the same body. What body is he talking about? The body of Jesus. He says in the same chapter that he took the two and he made them one. And so it says that the Gentiles should be fellow heirs of the same body and should be partakers of his promise in Christ through the gospel. That we should be partakers of his promise. And we told you that the word partakers means co-participant. God wasn't looking just to do it always by himself alone. He has now raised up a group of children who can co-participate in what he has done for them. Okay, let's go home. Well, it doesn't seem like anybody's really excited about that. Do you understand that God has called you to walk hand in hand with him. He's not looking for you just to sit back. He's wanting to show you the things that are possible to you in Christ Jesus. You have been called to be a co-participant, to be a partaker of. You know, if we put out a big spread like we did last week, and I say, come on, let's partake together, what are we saying? Grab a plate and let's eat. Let's do this together. And so God has called us to be a partaker, a co-participant of his promise. But he didn't even leave it there. Peter tells us, by which we have been given to us exceedingly great and precious promises, that through these you might be partakers of the divine nature. And so first, Paul tells us that we can be partakers of his promise, and then Peter tells us that through partaking in the promise, we get to partake of the divine nature of God. He's not asking you to partake of just your humanity anymore. He's asking you to partake of everything that makes him tick. He's brought you into his family. He's made you like him. He's put you back in the position that he wanted you to. And if we go back to Genesis, it says, and God created man in his image and his likeness. And he said, have dominion and subdue the earth. God has put you back into that position where you can now partake and work and participate with him and partake of that divine nature. You are more than meets the eye. You are no longer just the old bag of bones that was a human. You have now become the God-man. You have been made one with Jesus. And as John says, as he is, so are we in this world. So we need to change our thinking to no longer think about worldly limitations. We need to think about the limitations that Jesus has, and that is there are none. And so Peter says, there have been given to us exceedingly great and precious promises. But the thing with a promise, it is only ever as strong as the person who made it. If a liar makes you a promise, you tend not to believe him. But what about the God who cannot lie, 
who cannot change. He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And I like what Paul said to the Corinthians. He says, for all of the promises of God in him are yes and amen to the glory of God through us. Every promise that God has made is yes and so be it. But a lot of us as Christians treat it as I'm not really sure and I don't really believe it. So there needs to be a thinking change that goes through that instead of thinking I'm not really sure, start saying yes, I believe it. Even if you don't right now, start conditioning yourself to say yes, I believe it. Yes, I believe it. Because if you never start the change process, you'll always stay the same. Yes, I believe it. If God said it, he meant it. Amen, let's be done with it. And so God has called us to partake and not just to spectate. You know, I was listening through some research the other day that throughout the 90s and the 2000s and for the last 20 years, we've had very much a DIY society. People who are very much like, let me do it myself. Let me build my own house. Let me build my own business. But in the last number of years, the research is showing that culture is shifting to a do-it-for-me attitude. You can go to the grocery store right now and buy sliced apples. How long does it take you to slice an apple? 30 seconds? You can go out and buy sliced fruit and vegetables. People are wanting someone else to do it for them. That's not what God has called us to. He's called us to participate, to partake, and not just to spectate. You have more available to you, and you you have been empowered to do more than you could ever think. And so I want to go back and look at Ephesians chapter 1. And in verse 15, this is probably out of all the prayers that Paul prayed, number chapter 1 is my favorite one in Ephesians. And he says, therefore, in verse 15, I also, after I heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all the saints, I do not cease to give thanks for you, making mention of you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ the Father of glory may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him. That he would give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of you. I think in our first one, we mentioned that he's not talking about giving you a ghost of wisdom and a ghost of knowledge in him. No, the word here that's used, it's pneuma, but the the definition that it pulls from is an attitude and a desire and a longing for. So when, when Paul prays for them and says that God would give you a spirit of wisdom, he's saying that God would put a desire and a longing in your heart to understand more about him, to understand what he knows, the knowledge of him. There's what he knows and what he can do because when you know what he knows and what he can do, you begin to understand what you can do. And so Paul says, Father, I'm praying for them right now. Give them a desire to go deeper in you. He says that the eyes of their understanding would be enlightened. I really like the picture that's painted in the word that's used here. It has to do with your imagination, and it has to do with the lights turning on. When you're walking in the dark, you don't see the obstacles and you don't see the opportunity. But when the lights are on, you can see clearly. 
It's like that song, I can see clearly now the rain is gone. You can see when you press into what God knows and what he's made available to you, you begin to see differently. And with it having to do with your imagination, you need to start seeing yourself walking in those same things and in those same ways. You know, all of those self-help gurus are not wrong when they say you need to see yourself successful before you ever will be. It's in the Bible. They're just copying what God already knows. You need to begin to see yourself differently, different than you've looked at yourself in the past. Some people can only look at themselves and see failure, only see the disasters and the obstacles that they've walked through. You need to be able to see yourself in a different way, in the way that God has called us to. I like how the Amplified says it in verse 18. He says, and I pray that the eyes of your heart, the very center and the core of your being, may be enlightened, may it be flooded with light by the Holy Spirit. You realize that the Holy Spirit wants to take hold with you? Man, he's come to be the helper, the comforter, the counselor. Let him do some helping. He says that he will flood your heart with light. So if you want these things, all you have to do is say, Holy Spirit, flood me with light and dig into the word. And you know what? Lights begin to turn on in Jesus' name. And so he said that there'd be a desire for more and that your eyes would be opened so that you may know what is the hope of his calling. There are things that God has called you to and invited you to that until you open your eyes and begin to say, God, lead me into those things, you'll walk right past them and miss them. I like what Paul said in chapter 4, though, we talked about it at the very end of our last message on this. It says, I therefore, a prisoner of the Lord, I beseech you to walk worthy of your calling to which you were called. And the word worth, walk worthy, the first one is the word peripateo, which means to make one's way or to progress or to make due use of opportunity. Some people squander and spoil every opportunity that comes before them. But the, when Paul's telling them to walk worthy of their calling, he's saying make use of the opportunities. The second word for worthy is the word axios, which means suitably or in a manner worthy of. And the last word he used was the word klesis. And it's a call or an invitation. And it is used two ways in the Bible. One is an invitation to a feast, and the second is a inv- divine invitation to embrace the salvation of God. So if we want to simplify that and put that all together in a more understandable way, what Paul is saying is take every opportunity and walk in the manner of someone who has been invited to embrace the nature of God. You know, there's a different way you walk when you begin to understand who it is God has made you in Christ Jesus. You don't have to, you know, great story. Rick Renner, when he first went over into the former Soviet Union after the, after the walls would begin to fall, I think he started in Ukraine. And the thing that he observed as he went from all these different countries that were under communism is that everybody walked like this. Everybody had their head down. They were all just focused on just leave me alone, let me do my thing. And he said the amazing thing happened over the next decade as they begin to understand what freedom was again because they had been under communism for a lot of years. He says as they begin to understand what freedom is, people started to stand back up again 
and begin to look around. And that's when he truly be under, understood that the culture was truly shifting because they understood they're no longer slaves. That's basically what they were under that regime. And it changed the way they walk. When you understand that you're no longer slaves to this world system anymore, let it change the way you walk. Put your head up. Walk a little bit more confidently and believe God. So back to verse 18 of chapter 1. He wants you to know what is the hope of his calling. Now the word hope is the Greek word elpis, which means a confident expectation of good things to come. The things that God has called you into are good things filled with blessing. And he wants you to understand that there's good things coming for you. He's saying the confident expression that this is what I have been called to do and what I've been empowered to do. These are the things that Paul is praying for the church at Ephesus. He wants them to stand up and be like, yeah, this is me you're talking about. This is me what you're saying that I can do these things. And in order to walk in that mindset, we need to avoid the trap of putting up with things and expecting less than what God has called us to. People learn just to put up with whatever comes their way. And in the same way, you can learn to expect better things and to begin to expect the goodness of God flooding your situations. Yes, the Bible does say that with godliness and contentment is great gain, but you know what? You don't be content in the things God has not called you to do. And so many people just set up camp where God never asked them to camp. The second thing that Paul wanted their eyes open to is what are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints. We don't have time to go there this morning. But the next verse he says, and what is the exceeding greatness of his power towards us who believe? There is an exceeding great outflow of power and flowing out from Father God to you as his son and his daughter right now to those who believe. It doesn't say to those who just exist. It says to those who believe. Do, am I talking to any believers here this morning? And all of this happened according to the working of his mighty power. It's not because of what we have done. All we did was show up and receive it by faith. It's not because we were good enough. It's not because we were special enough. It's just because God passed it out to his children and we said, I'll take it. I'll come into the family. And so it's all based upon what he has done, which means we get to take the restrictions off of ourselves. Some people are so busy trying to be right. Walk with God and you will find yourself walking right. Right believing always precedes right action. Verse number 20 says, It all happened when he, which he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and he seated him at his right hand in heavenly places, far above all principality and power and might and dominion and every name that is named, not only in this age, but that which is to come. And he put all things under his feet and he gave him to be head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all and all. The church is his fullness not his leftovers, not his scraps. You are the, have the fullness of God implanted on the inside of you. 
And in chapter 2, verse 6, it says, And he's raised us up together and made us sit together with him in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. So where he is, so are you. And so where is he? Far above all principality and power, might and dominion, and every name that is named. Not only in this age, but also that is to come. So what is under his feet and under your feet? Everything that has a name. And why is that? You know, Toph was starting to pick up on it right there when we were singing that song during offering. We're going to talk about the name of Jesus this morning. And as he was singing, Your name, your name is victory. It is. So why don't we look at Philippians chapter 2 this morning. Robin, can you bring me my water? I forgot it down there this morning. Thank you, honey. In Philippians chapter 2, and in verse 5, Paul says this to the church of Philippi. He says, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. A better way of saying that is, think like this, because this is how Jesus thought. And if we are seated with him in heavenly places, we need to understand how he thinks and begin to think that way. And Paul understood that. So he told the church of Philippians, this is how Jesus thinks. Let that same mind be in you. And it says, who, being in the form of God, did not consider it robbery to be equal with God. Jesus didn't see that as a problem. And Paul said, hey, you should have that same mindset because he has asked you to partake of the divine nature. What he was saying is come and be like me. And so Jesus didn't think this was a problem. He was in the form of God and he didn't consider it robbery to be equal with God. And the funny thing is I've met lots of religious people who say, oh, you're just trying to elevate people up to the level of God. I don't have to elevate them there. God already did that in the work of Jesus. I need to now allow myself to take that place. And take off the religious thoughts that say, no, you, you can't do that. That's for God and Jesus. Well, then somebody needed to tell God and Jesus because they decided that for us. But what did Jesus do with it? This is a question that we need to answer for ourselves. What did Jesus do with that thought process? The next verse tells us, but he made himself of no reputation. It's not about us. It's not about you. It's about what he's wanting to do through you for those he's still wanting to lift up out of the muck and the mire. He made himself of no reputation, taking on the form of a bondservant. Why? What did Jesus tell his own disciples? The one who serves is the greatest of all. His disciples asked, well, put me on your right hand and put me on your left hand. I guess I should do the right. Right hand and left hand. And Jesus said, that's not for me to give. But the greatest in the kingdom is the servant of all. And so Jesus became the greatest servant there will ever be. And we're to follow in his likeness, to serve our fellow brothers and sisters and mankind and lift them up. 
And so it says, in coming in the likeness of men and being found in the appearance of man, he humbled himself and became obedient even to the point of death, even to the death of the cross. And therefore, or because of that, God has highly exalted him and given him the name that is above every name. That at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow and, and those in heaven and those on earth and those under the earth. So at the name of Jesus, everything has to bow. I had one guy tell me, he's like, we can't pray like that anymore. That was only for the disciples in Jesus. That's not for us today. Paul was not writing to the disciples here. You realize that? He was writing to the church at Philippi. And if it's good for one church, it's good for the other ones because we see these same themes throughout his writings to other people. But at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow. What situation are you going through right now? It has to bow to Jesus. It can't physically stand and stay where it is when Jesus is applied. And it says that every tongue should confess that Jesus is Lord to the glory of God the Father. When we exercise our rights as the sons and daughters of God and use the names of Jesus, it brings glory to God. It doesn't take away from God. So we should see this reflected in Jesus' teaching to his disciples, shouldn't we? Well, let's think about the last conversation he had with them. In Mark chapter 16, verse 14, it starts this way. He says, Later he appeared to the eleven as they sat at the table, and he rebuked their unbelief and their hardness of heart. You realize that Jesus, the only things he ever got a problem with is people being unbelieving? And so he rebuked their unbelief and the hardness of their heart because they did not believe those things, those who had seen him after he had been risen. Jesus had spent his time saying, guys, I'm going to die, but don't worry, I'm coming back. And they totally didn't get it. And even as they walked through the process, still didn't get it. And so when Mary showed up and said, hey, I've seen the Lord, they're like, no, 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 you didn't. And then Jesus walks into the room and they're like, ah! And he says to Thomas, he says, Thomas, you didn't believe, but go ahead, stick your finger in here. Stick your hand in here. I'm here, Thomas. And the only thing he had a problem with them about is that they did not believe and they hardened their hearts. You know, we can do the same thing. We can harden our hearts to opportunities and to understanding what's available to us and saying, no, 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 no. No, Pastor Jordan, I, I just don't believe it. I just don't, I don't think so. No, no, no. And we can harden our hearts, but God is wanting us to open our hearts and just take him at his word. And so he rebukes them for their unbelief and their hardness of heart, and then he says this, go into all the world and preach the gospel, the good news, to every creature. And he who believes and is baptized will be saved, but he who does not believe will be condemned. And he says this, and these signs will follow those who believe, not those who don't believe, those who believe in my name. They will cast out demons. They will speak with new tongues. They will take up serpents, and if they drink anything deadly, it will by no means hurt them, and they will lay hands on the sick, and they will recover. 
He's saying that in my name, there's things that aren't possible to you as a physical human that are now possible to you through me in my name. And those who believe, these things just become natural to them. You know, Paul was, or Jesus was not telling them to go out there and grab poisonous snakes and let them get bitten, be like, I'm a true believer and I will not die. No, but you know what did happen? When Paul was making a fire on the island of Malta, a poisonous snake jumped out and bit him and he went, and he shook it off into the fire and everybody went, oh my goodness, he's a god. And Paul said, no, 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 not I, but let me tell you about the one who is. And so Jesus said that in my name, these signs will follow you. This will become normal to you. This will become natural, a part of your life. And it says, so then after the Lord had spoken to them, he was received up into heaven and he sat down at the right hand of the Father. What Paul was talking about in Ephesians chapter 1 and 2, where he has been raised up far above all principality and power in every name that is named. Not only in this age, but that which is to come. And he's raised us up. And made us to sit together with him. So Jesus goes up, sits down. Next verse. And they went out and they preached everywhere, and the Lord working with them and confirming the word through accompanying signs. Amen. How did the Lord work with them if he went up and sat down? He had just finished telling them, use my name. Now, the interesting thing, the book of Mark was written by the guy we know of as John Mark in the book of Acts. He traveled for a little bit with Paul and Barnabas, who was his nephew or his cousin, depending on how you look at the translation of it. And he wasn't a good fit with Paul. And They got into some skirmishes after John decided, hey, this is too rough for me. I'm going home. You guys have fun. He couldn't take the pressure of ministry, and so he abandoned them, and it caused a division between Paul and Barnabas, and Barnabas ended up leaving, but God brought Silas in. Well, after that, Mark, John Mark, ended up going and working with Peter, And he became very profitable to the ministry for Peter, and Peter became his mentor. And so what we see as the book of Mark is basically what Mark learned from Peter, the firsthand experiences he had. And so if we want to know what he's talking about here in verse chapter 16, verse 20, and they went out and preached everywhere, and the Lord worked with them. How did he work with them? Let's see what Peter did after these days. And we can see that in Acts chapter 3, verse 1. Let's jump over there. And in verse 1, it says, Now Peter and John went up together to the temple at the hour of prayer, the ninth hour. And a certain man, lame from his mother's womb, was carried whom they laid daily at the gate of the temple, which is called Beautiful, to ask alms from those who were entering the the temple, who, seeing Peter and John about to go into the temple, asked for alms. And fixing his eyes on him with John, Peter said, Look at us. 
And so he gave them his attention, expecting to receive something from them. And I love that statement. The man didn't go, oh, here we go, another lecture of how I shouldn't be blocking the temple gate, you know, in the way. No, the man looked up in expectation. You realize that expectation is the breeding ground for miracles? When you begin to expect to see the goodness of God, the goodness of God begins to show up. Now, this man didn't know anything about, that God, about God at that point, but he had an expectation that he was opening himself up to receive something from them. And Peter said to them, Silver and gold I do not have, but what I do have I give you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, get up and walk. So what was it that Peter said is the most important thing that I can give you right now? The name of Jesus gives you your legs back. Not I, Peter, am here to heal you. Or John has the gift of miracles. No, he said, in Jesus' name, get up. And he didn't leave it at that. This is where Peter's boldness, you understand that he knew the power behind what he was saying because he just didn't say in the name of Jesus get up no he says and he took him by the right hand and he lifted him up this man is getting up off the ground whether he wants to or not Peter's saying you're getting healed today and immediately his feet and his ankle bones received strength there was not just a knowing that the name of Jesus does something. There was a boldness that rose up on the inside of Peter that I know he backs up what he says and I'm going to see it fulfilled today. How many of us can allow that boldness to get up on the inside of us that when we see those hurting around us, in the name of Jesus, I speak healing to your body. In the name of Jesus, I speak change to this situation. In the name of Jesus, I speak up opportunities and we let boldness take hold with faith and so he leaping up stood and walked and entered into the temple with them walking and leaping and praising God I love that he wasn't just about oh yeah this is pretty cool he's like no this is awesome I got my legs back you know when God shows up on the scene and when the power of God it brings joy to people's hearts it transforms their lives that man has had a rough struggle till this point and everything changed that day when he came in contact with the name of Jesus and all the people saw him walking and praising God. It caused a commotion and it drew a crowd. And then they knew that it was he who sat begging alms at the beautiful gate of the temple and they were filled with wonder and amazement and what had happened to him. And now as the lame man who was healed held on to Peter and John, all the people ran together to them in the porch, which is called Solomon's, and they were greatly amazed. So when Peter saw it, he responded to the people. And he said, men of Israel, why do you marvel at this? Meaning he didn't see this as that unusual. He saw this as ordinary and normal. Or why do you look so intently at us as though by our own power or own godliness we made this man walk? You know, we still do this today when we see like an evangelist who has like a gift of healing and stuff like that. We're like, oh, look at the man of God. It's not him, it's the gift of God in him. 
and he's not anything special, you can pull on the gift of God inside of you as well in the name of Jesus. He says, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of our fathers, glorified his servant Jesus, whom you delivered up and denied in the presence of Pilate when he was determined to let him go. It says, but you denied the Holy One and the just and asked for a murderer to be granted to you. And you killed the Prince of Life whom God raised from the dead of which we are witnesses. Whoa, Peter, what a smoking message you're giving to them. Hey, you guys killed the one who does this. <laughs> but he didn't leave it there. He says, and his name through faith in his name has made this man strong, whom you see and you know. Huh, that's interesting. It was the name of Jesus and faith placed in his name. What can happen to your life today if you start to put your faith back in the name of Jesus, changing things in you, opening doors for you, healing your body, healing the bodies of those around you? It says, yes, the faith which comes through him has given him this perfect soundness in the presence of you all. Whew. I don't know about you, but that just excites my heart. The name of Jesus. A few weeks ago, I was reading some uh, old messages that uh, Smith Wigglesworth had preached, and I was reading one from January 10th, 1923, and he was talking about the name of Jesus like we are this morning, and he told the story about this Episcopalian vicar, so basically an Anglican priest, and uh, he was sick, about to die, and someone had given him a track about how God wants to heal today, and he was a little unsure about, you know, okay, Maybe I should find, about, find someone who believes this. And so he knew of a guy who believed this sort of thing, because he obviously didn't in himself. And he's called for the guy. He says, you know, come pray for me. So the guy came, and he brought six of his friends. And the first thing they did is they, they, they uh, anointed him with oil, like James chapter 5 says to do. And, but the verse also says, and the prayer of faith shall save the sick. Well, they didn't know how to pray a prayer of faith. And so they anointed him with oil and nothing happened. And the man began to weep and he's just like, I guess I'm going to die. And so the six men got up and they, they went out of the house and as they were on their way out, one of the guys just thought inside himself, like, you know, I think there's something that we can do. Hey, would you guys like to try this with me? And so they went back into the house and he says, we're just going to look at Jesus. And they just began to say, Jesus, Jesus. Jesus, Jesus. And as they began to put their thoughts onto Jesus, faith began to rise up. A joy began to come into their hearts. And then they realized that it wasn't just them. The man that they came to pray for got up out of bed and got dressed and was heading his way downstairs to make himself breakfast because God had healed them as they took their eyes off of their ability to do this and put it onto Jesus. Things change when the name of Jesus is brought on the scene because every knee has to bow. Every tongue has to confess that he is Lord regardless of what it is. And so Peter and John have just lifted this man up in the name of Jesus. He's healed and it causes a commotion and they get arrested. 
And in chapter 4, verse 13, it says this, And now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John, and they perceived that they were uneducated and untrained men, they marveled. They didn't have a seminary degree. They hadn't been trained up, but they'd been with Jesus, which was enough. And they realized that they'd been with Jesus. And seeing the man who had been healed standing with them, they could say nothing against it. But when they had commanded them to go aside out of the council, they conferred among themselves, saying, What shall we do to these men? For indeed, a notable miracle has been done through them, and it is evident to all who dwell in Jerusalem, and we cannot deny it. My question is, then why are you trying to? Some people harden their hearts, though. And what did Jesus rebuke? Their unbelief and the hardness of their hearts. This was an opportunity for them to say, oh my goodness, it's spreading. It's not just Jesus, it's now these people too. Maybe, just maybe we should change. Open hearts. When you open your heart, things begin to look different. But they said, but so that it spreads no further among the people, let us severely threaten them. And from now on, they speak to no man in this name. They recognized where the source of the power was. It wasn't them, it was the name of this dude. And so they called them and they commanded them to not speak at all nor teach in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John answered and said to them, Whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you more than God, you judge. For we cannot but speak the things which we've seen and heard. Maybe this is new to you and you've not heard about using the name of Jesus. Well, you know what? It works the same way the Bible does. Let the name of Jesus loose on your situation. Because as Christopher was singing, the name of Jesus is victory. As another song, the name of Jesus breaks every chain. There's nothing that can stand up to the name of Jesus. So why don't you stand to your feet right now? Jesus, we just call upon your name. We thank you for the good things you have for us in this year of 2020. But above everything, let our eyes be fixed on you, Jesus, and what you have done for us, what you have prepared. We thank you that, Jesus, we let you loose in our bodies. Jesus, we let you loose in our minds. Jesus, we let you loose in our businesses. Jesus, we let you loose in our relationships. Jesus, we lift you high above all else in our lives. And you say that if you be lifted high, you draw all men unto you. We thank you for opportunities to minister the mighty name of Jesus to those around us as we just live and exemplify what a life is that is yielded to the name of Jesus. And so we right now, as your word says that every tongue should confess and every knee should bow, that you are Lord, we bow our lives before you, Jesus. And we thank you for all that you are and all that you have for us because there is no higher name than the name of Jesus. And we thank you for it. Thank you for it, Jesus. Hallelujah. Maybe you've been watching us this morning via the internet and you have not made Jesus your Lord. You don't have to wait another moment. Right now, we're going to pray with you and I want you just to launch out in faith and pray with us and pray this with us. Jesus, 
I receive you right now. I receive the gift of the Father. I thank you that I allow your name to transform me from the inside out. I call you my Lord right now in Jesus' name. And if you prayed that prayer with us this morning, I want you to get in contact with us so that we can get you hooked up with a good church in your area. Let's let's sing for a second before we go. All praise will rise to Christ our King. Your name, your name is victory. All praise will rise to Christ our King. Name, your name is victory. sing this old song with me. Jesus, 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 there's just something, oh, about your name. Master, Like the fragrance after the rain. Jesus, 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 let all heaven and earth proclaim the kings and kingdoms they shall all pass away but there's something about that name so Jesus we magnify you We thank you for all that you are. In Jesus' name, amen. You guys are blessed and released. Have a wonderful week.